0: Well, the first thing we start with that discipline, like you said, and that's just showing up every single day to do the work. And this is something that's uh, amazingly, I, I can't tell you how many different types of people I've worked with, whether uh, athletes, let's just say athletes who say that they want to get better. They say that they're serious about the game and then you say, OK, well, just come to come to the park or the court or the gym or the whatever. Come here every day at this time. I'll be here. I'll work with you. And not even two weeks go by. They're not showing up anymore. I've had this happen uh, so many times and people say that they're serious and they can see that I'm serious and they can see that working with me is going to make them better. But they can't. They just can't show up. They just don't have the discipline. So that discipline is a, a huge thing is the foundational piece of everything that we do here. I don't care if I'm talking to a basketball player or a person who owns a, a eight figure business. Discipline is the foundational piece of everything that I do and everything that we do, and me personally, forget professional-wise. You are discipline. listening to the Bridging Impact
1: Podcast, transforming leaders on and off the court with host, Coach Furtado. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. This is my first recording of the 2024 New Year and we got a great guest for you all today, and our guest today is Dre Baldwin. Dre is the owner of Work On Your Game, INC. He is a published author. He played professionally overseas basketball and also walked on to Division Three college level, um, has four different TED Talks, and I'm really excited to have him pass on wisdom to you all so we can help transform our leaders on and off the course. So welcome to the show, Dre.
0: Thank you for having me on. I'm excited for this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. How are you? I'm great. Let's dive right in. Um,
1: Obviously, basketball has made a huge impact on your life. And I really want to maybe focus the question a little bit more. So talking about the early days of of your basketball career, what kind of Mm -hmm. impact did walking on out of Division 3 have for you and your ability to be an
0: entrepreneur? my oh well justin i didn't know at the time i didn't know i can only i can look back now and i can explain it but for me when i was walking on as a a matter of fact the school that i walked on at is division three now but back then it wasn't even that it was i guess they called it provisional division three it was something like that where you could actually only play two years the first school i went to you can only play two years of sports there was penn state abington campus and penn state has like 23 campuses so, I ended up going to Altoona, which, is, which was at the time a four year. And now that school that I have been at is now four years. But back then it was only two years. So, the first thing I was thinking is, I got to get the hell out of here. All right. Because I only got <laughs> two years. So I, I need to play four years. So, I got to figure out where right. I'm going to go after this. So I knew I wasn't going to stay there. I said, I got two years and I got to figure this out. Where can I go? And hopefully, let it be because of basketball. Because when I first went on as a walk on, it's not like I wasn't even an, an invited walk on, I was just a show up out of nowhere walk on. So I had to figure out how am I going to play my way into a a next basketball opportunity, which I didn't know how I was going to do that at the time. But anyway, to answer your question as a walk on, uh, as you know, I mean, we were at schools that didn't have a a ton of resources. Your, uh, it's not like you're some star as soon as you arrive on campus. I mean, you could play your way into being the star. I became kind of a a big fish in a small pond at a three school for what that's worth, but for me getting out of there as I could see the light at the end of the tunnel, my senior year, I'm like, all right, I want to keep playing basketball, but there wasn't anybody knocking on my door or calling my phone saying, Hey, we have an opportunity for you to play at the next level. I had to go create that opportunity. So that's really when I tapped into the the marketer and the salesperson, the, the businessman that has always been inside of me. And something I've always told athletes is that I'm not actually a, a basketball player. I'm actually a, an entrepreneur who happened to be able to play basketball. So I've always seen myself as a businessman and, Basketball just happened to be my business for about 10 years. So hopefully that answers your question.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And and that's a great place to kind of segue and go into. And I think it's one of the great components of sports is encouraging athletes to advocate for themselves, whether it's going to get, uh, create an opportunity and a spot for yourself on a team, or you're on mm-hmm. a team and you wanna try and advocate for yourself to get more minutes in play time. I think whether you end up being an mm-hmm. entrepreneur or you're working for someone else, like that, that's a really right. crucial skill. So can you talk mm-hmm. about how, um, what kind of confidence you needed at, at, at that point? And was it an easy thing for you to do to go and market? Like where did you even begin in that journey of yourself?
0: yeah so to answer your second question i had no idea what to do <laughs> i yeah. had to figure it out yeah. to answer your first right. question what kind of confidence you needed but well, you got to have a lot and i don't even know if i would have called it confidence at the time i just had a, a belief and i guess confidence is belief <laughs> but i wasn't thinking of it as confidence i was just thinking i know i can if i can just position myself to have the opportunity that's the way that i saw it so i just i just need to find the opportunity i wasn't it wasn't ever a question of do i believe it it was a question of Okay, you could believe all you want Uh, It was not had to do with the actual outcome. Right. So that's that's what I was thinking. That's the kind of conversations I had with myself was the reason why I had those kind of conversations with other people, because I talked to myself the same way I talked to others. So for me, getting out of college and looking for that opportunity and you were asking, how did I know where I was going to start? So uh, one thing I can give credit to is one of my college teammates. He had people he knew back home who had played overseas basketball. So he knew a little bit about the overseas world. And he said, okay, well, if you want to play overseas, like people like us, Dre, we're going to have to go to these exposure camps. I didn't know what an exposure camp was. He explained the concept. All right. So you go to this camp and there's a bunch of guys who all think they're good enough to play pro and you got to pay to go to it. Maybe a hundred, 200, $300. You go to the camp and if you play good, you get scouted and hopefully somebody is interested and they can help you move to the, whatever the next step is, get yourself an agent, Maybe go to a tryout. Maybe you get signed straight to a contract, something like that. So that was all I was focused on was how do we find that opportunity for me to go to an exposure camp? So I graduated. Give everybody a framework here. I graduated time frame. Graduated college in 2004, and I went to an exposure camp in 2005. So that first year out of school, I worked at Foot Locker as a manager. I worked at a gym called Valley Total Fitness selling memberships. And then I went to an exposure camp. So a whole year after college, that's when I went to an exposure camp. And it was $250. I had to save up the money. I had to negotiate with my boss to get the weekend off just so I could go to the camp. And I went to the camp and I played pretty good there. I didn't get nothing happened. elite. I mean, nothing happened literally from that camp. But then I went back home and that's when I started trying to call agents. And I started calling agents to try to get myself on because all I figured was go to an exposure camp, play well. I knew I needed to go to a camp that had footage because I played at Division three school and we... Uh, allegedly filmed every game, Justin. But when I went back to my coaches and said, can I get some of the game film? There was nowhere to be found that we, this is on VHS, So it's only one tape. This is not like it's online and everybody can just grab the link. It was one tape. So if the coach gave away that tape to one of your teammates, the tape's gone. Right, so that footage, that dunk that you had never, it never happened, right? There's no proof. So I had a lot of nice dunks in college, but there's no proof because the tapes are gone. So <laughs> I needed to go somewhere where I could get some footage of me doing good on the court that was mine that I could use and I could leverage it. So the first thought was I need to go to exposure camp and get footage. So I did that. Once the exposure camp got footage, had some nice plays or right, I got that check. Now I got to get an agent because I'm going to, I'm probably going to play overseas. Not like the Lakers are calling me. So I'm going to play overseas. So now I got to get an agent. Now, again, usually this is a sports show. So athletes know agents usually call you, right? You got a bunch of agents calling you. You got to pick one and let them represent you. Well, nobody was calling me, Justin. So I had to call them. All right, so i called the agents so i went and googled basketball agents and whichever one i found who had a phone number i called them so i called about 60. i got in touch with about 20 out of that 60. and out of that 20 they said let me see what you got so i had to send copies of that vhs tape and uh, you may have some young people listening to this if you all know what a vhs tape is google it or ask your parents they'll explain it to you it's like youtube but it's a physical product all right so that's basically what it is so i was sending copies of that vhs tape to these 20 agents of those 20 One of them I was able to get back in touch with after they got the tape. And that guy said, I will represent you. So, again, this is the exact opposite of how it normally works. Usually the agents call you and you pick one. I called them and tried to get one of them to pick me. So I got the agent, and that was the second piece, check. And then the third piece was hurry up and wait, which is, all right, now you got an agent. Now you got to hope that your agent can find you an opportunity. And that's what I I had to wait. And this is summer of 2005. I'm still working at this gym called Valley Total Fitness. They're out of business now. Uh, not because of me, because I sold a lot of memberships and made some good, good commissions that summer. And finally, the agent reached out to me. It wasn't that long. I mean, I signed with an agent maybe in June, July. And by the end of August, he was hitting me up and saying, hey, there's a team interested. And that's how I got on. My first job was in uh, Columbus, Lithuania. So that's how it happened. I just knew these are the steps I got to follow. And I had control over two of the steps, halfway control, and I had no control over the last step. So that's all I, I could do
1: that patience and persistence definitely the the persistence i mean kind of reverse engineering what usually happens right and i think one of the things that i hear in there i mean you're you're calling 60 agents that's that's taking a lot of time it's taking um initiative and if you really want something right if you really believe in yourself to you know take that initiative and, and make those calls and then only hearing back from 20 right it's like when you're shooting shooting from deep, right? It's like a 33%, 20 out of 60. So um, being able to handle, you know, that rejection, you know, was, did you have mentors and people or when you were working with yourself and talking to yourself, you know, that 20 out of 60, how did you not let those, you know, kind of rejections get to you?
0: Good question. So uh, one note on the, uh, on the, the calls, I was doing it, good thing is I had a sales job. So I was making those calls to the agents on company time. Right, So it's not, it wasn't yeah. in my personal time. I did it while I was at work. So I was just going to the phone room and call people. But uh, as far as your question again was what?
1: My question is just like, how did you handle that? And I'm sure the sales jobs helped prepare you for that. But how do you handle those rejections yes. of not hearing
0: from 40 out of the 60 agents that uh, you called? Okay. Well, by this point, I'm 23 years of age. So I didn't start playing basketball till I was around 14. Now, I had actually you know, tried to play basketball when I was about maybe 10 or 12 my mom would send me to the local rec center to try out for the, the U team. And I never made any U teams. I never got past the first day because I couldn't play. I had no ability. I couldn't dribble, couldn't make a layup, nothing. Yeah. So I was used to getting rejected. I got cut from more teams than I made. Right. So by the time I was graduated college, I had gotten cut more times than I had actually made a basketball team. So I was used to the rejection. And I realized by just by deductive reasoning, Justin, that a lot of people, they get rejected one time trying something and they never try it again. And you know, later on, I read Napoleon Hill. He said, or he actually said this in one of his lectures. How many times do you think the average person tries something? He said it's between zero and one time because most people try things yeah. zero times and they just talk themselves out of it. And then everybody else tries one time. And if they don't get it, they, don't, they quit. So the average is somewhere between zero and one. So I realized that if I just try it out more than once, try anything more than once, I, I'm going to have less competition. Doesn't guarantee I'll make it but I have a lot less competition. So I was used to the experience of not making the team, but I was not deterred by it. Cause I got cut at the you know, 10 years old, 12 years old. Then at 14, I made a the team. Then I got cut freshman, sophomore, junior of high school, senior year, I made the team. Then I went to college and I made the team the first time I tried. So it was like, I'm getting better. All right. It wasn't like, this is, I was setting the world on fire. I wasn't in the hall of fame yet, but I was getting better. I could see that I was improving even as I was moving up levels. So when I was calling those 60 agents, I understood the, I understood the math. You only need one. And this is something that I tell, I tell even entrepreneurs to this day. And many times when we're doing stuff, you only need one. I don't need every girl to like me. I just need one. Right? I don't need every basketball coach to like me. I just need one because you only play for one team. All right? I only need one agent. So I'm calling 60 out of these 60. If I can talk to them and show them what I got, I mean, I know I look good on this tape. So if I can just get them to look at the tape, I can get something to work here. So that was my mindset. I didn't care about the ones who didn't call back. I'm just thinking about the ones who did. How can I convince one of these guys to represent me and just get me in a gym where I can prove that I can play? That's all I needed. That's all I was looking for. Yeah, that's so true that most people only try things zero.
1: They never... A lot of people don't even try or right. they try it once and then they never do it again. And like that's such exactly. an important you know, life skill. And that's what I talk to a lot of my athletes that, number one, either get cut, right? Because that's an important part mm-hmm. of my story, too. I was cut from my varsity basketball team my junior year. And a lot of my mm-hmm. friends that I played basketball with, they made it. And right. that gave me that the work ethic to that summer. I dedicated so much time and craft into just making the team. I didn't even really care right. about playing time. I just wanted to make the team. However, I feel like that process really influenced me to become a coach today, right? Like I learned how to learn the skill of becoming a better basketball player. And that's the next question I wanted to ask you is like, how did you kind of train yourself to, you know, handle failure? You can't just, you know, get cut and then never try and wait to train until the next season, right? You have to, you know, continue to develop those skills. So, you know, how did you train yourself and develop your skills, even though you weren't making the teams?
0: Yeah, so the first thing is, I'm about to be, by the time this comes out, I'll, my birthday's early February, so I'll be 42 years of age by the time this comes out. So, I grew up in the 90s, all right? so this is not like I'm coming to the park with my phone and I'm looking up a drill and then putting my phone around <laughs> right. and doing the drill. This is, you got whatever's in your head and whatever you can figure out. Right, my parents were not athletes, uh, didn't have any brothers teaching me basketball. None of the neighborhood coaches took me under their wing. This was me on the court, asphalt, outside, by myself. And just figuring it out. That's literally all I did from age 14 to age uh, 19. Because when I turned, when I was 19, that was after my freshman year of college, and I finally had access to an indoor gym for the first time in my life. Consistently, access to an indoor gym. So for me, developing my game, it was just go- literally going to the park and just trying stuff out. Or I might be at the park on Tuesday, and I see one of the older guys do something. I say, oh, "That's cool, what he did." And then I would try to remember it. Again, this is not a video. Just remember it come back to the park the next day at 12 in the afternoon when nobody's out there because it's too hot for everybody else in philadelphia and i would just practice by myself uh, just learning i knew i had to learn how to dribble i had to figure out shooting and i had to learn to make a layup and i noticed that the local coaches they would always tell the players all right you're right-handed you got to learn how to dribble with your left hand all right you're you can make a layup with your right hand but you got to learn how to do it with your left hand so i would always practice both sides equally so i could be just as good with my I'm right-handed. So just go with my non-dominant hand as my strong hand. So let me learn how to dribble. Uh, let me work on my outside shot because I saw that was a, that was a thing that played well on the playground. Uh, be able to drive to the basket and make layups. And then, of course, you want to learn how to dunk. Now I'm 6'4", so I was often taller than a lot of my peers. So it was like, oh, you can't dunk. All right, so I was always wanting to learn how to dunk. So for me, it was just developing those basic abilities. And one of the things that I came up with was – Just a ball handling series so i just figured out all the basic ball handling movements that you need to do and i just came up with a little series and i was just do that series every day for about 10 15 minutes and i realized if i just keep doing this consistently i'm going to get better because i saw that i was getting better just from this random no structure practice that i was doing so if i could put some structure to this maybe i'll actually become seriously good and that's all i did And luckily it worked yeah
1: and I think one of the things that I, I just hear through that is just that self initiated initiation, that initiative, right? You didn't really know, but hey, it's better than being on the couch and just thinking about it, right? You were in there, you were trying things out, you were, you know, looking at, you know, what older, you know, basketball players were doing and you're trying to just emulate and then, you know, kind of building on it, being consistent and you know, I think one of the mm. things is it's definitely different about, right? You kind of mentioned with this generation, they have a phone, all of them, you know, they have trainers, right? I'm, I'm a trainer and a coach. So like, I'm guilty of this too, is I right. feel like one of the things I'm recognizing um, is that I feel like kids are getting overtrained and overcoached, and they have like almost too much in their mind. And so um, when you talk and you work with athletes today, how do you encourage them to, you know, kind of explore that creativity and that self-initiative
0: on their own? Well, the first thing is you gotta have a foundation. You gotta have the fundamentals. So that's something that I would tell athletes, yeah. even when I was I start, you know, when I start putting videos on YouTube, and players would come to me and say, "Well, Dre, teach me how to do the crossover like Derrick Rose. Or I want to learn how to be creative like Kyrie Irving." And I'm like, "Well, do you have the fundamentals that Derrick Rose has? Do you have Kyrie's fundamentals? Because that's the stuff they don't put in the highlight reels. Excuse me, right. that stuff doesn't make Sports Center. All right, so it's the foundations first. And what I would always tell athletes is that you want to do the fancy layup that Kyrie did last night. That's kind of like putting icing on the cake. But first, we got to bake the cake. All right, we got to bake the cake first. Then you put the icing on top. So we got to get the foundation first, the fundamentals. And I think a player who was uh, very strong and two players who were very strong in preaching the fundamentals were uh, Kobe Bryant, and Michael Jordan. They always talked about the fundamentals. Kobe talked about it a lot. He's more contemporary. More players today probably would recognize Kobe than at least have heard Jordan, heard of Jordan, but they didn't really see him but it was the fundamentals were the foundation, right? Is your footwork right? Can you make a layup with both hands? Can you make a post entry pass? All the basic stuff first, then we put the extra stuff on top of it. So for me, it, it's always about the fundamentals and the basics and being, you had to, I don't know if it's, you have to love it, but you gotta be willing to do it. Let's just call it that. It may not be love, but you gotta be willing to do it. So for example, I don't play basketball anymore, but I go to a boxing gym and have a boxing trainer. I'm not trying to be a pro boxer, but I just want to get training. So I have something to do athletically. I need a target. And sometimes we just do drills. It's just drill after drill after drill, do the same drill over and over and over again. And sometimes I can get monotonous. But if you're not willing to do that monotonous work, then you'll never get to the point where you can do the, you know, the Floyd Mayweather combination that you see on, on TV. All right. You can't get to there without the fundamentals. So you got to have the foundations of anything that you do whether it's basketball or anything else, fundamentals come first, the fancy stuff comes last.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, you know, one of the things that I heard at, at a camp that really helped me develop my skills was you have to fall in love with the boring, right, the, the monotonous right. work, the fundamentals, the, you know, defensive techniques and certain Correct. things that may not be – they're not going to end up on a highlight tape, but they will help you get more play time and give you an opportunity to create a highlight tape because if you don't exactly. have those fundamentals. You don't fall in love with exactly. the boring you won't get there. So I think that's a really great point. And so, you know, while we were sticking with the fundamentals, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what are some of the, you know, the fundamentals of your entrepreneurship and and life and leadership principles that you learned while you were playing overseas after reflecting
0: on that experience. Man. So, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about being an entrepreneur while I was uh, playing overseas, but I guess I kind of was being one because I had to sell myself so many times just to get the next job. Like I never, I never had a contract that was more than one season. Right, And every time the season ended, I was like, all right, how am I going to get the next job? That's how it was for me. I'm not saying every player overseas is like that. but That's how it was for me. So I was always having a market and sell myself. So for me, it started with the foundation of uh, mindset. And those mindset pieces are discipline of showing up every day to do the work, confidence to put yourself out there boldly and authentically, mental toughness to continue showing up, doing the work putting yourself out there, even when the success you've expected to achieve has yet to occur and personal initiative of being a go-getter who makes things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. And those are all things that I needed to do just to get on the court in basketball, let alone to perform on the court. I had to get on the court first, then perform on the court. So the foundation was always mindset. Then the next thing is the strategy, which we kind of have talked about in the questions that you asked here, Justin, which is, all right, I'm a nobody player out of a D3 school. Nobody's checking for me. How am I going to get overseas? And my strategy was, again, it was three steps. I got to go somewhere and, and perform against pro-level players because playing against D3 players doesn't prove anything. So I got to play against some pro-level guys and prove that I'm good Then and get footage. Then I need to go get an agent and get the agent to believe that I'm good. And then the agent has to give me a job. So that was my strategy, three steps. But I had to execute those three steps. It took me a year and a half to execute three steps. All right, so it's not like this happens all overnight just because it's short. So don't think that short just means easy. And then the third part is the system. The system is how can we do the same things over and over again? How can we take a strategy that works and do it over and over and over and over again, like McDonald's or Starbucks, how everything comes out the same way every time. So for me, that was, you know, once I found a way to get into Pro Bowl, okay, that's the first job. How do I get the second job? How do I get the third job? How do I get the fourth job? I had to do that every single year. My entire career I had to keep doing it. So then that led into entrepreneurship because once I started, and I was putting videos on YouTube and had a little basketball audience on YouTube early, and that's when I, at one point, probably about 2009, I started putting up videos every day, and I didn't know if I had enough ideas to put out videos every day. You know, that was you no, know, who knows, eight thousand days ago, and been putting up, start putting up videos every day, and that was the system. System was I'm gonna just put out a video every day because nobody else was doing it at the time. What can I? I was trying to figure out what makes me unique because the thing is, Justin, I'm not a good video editor. I'm a terrible video editor. I'm an amateur video editor. I hate editing videos. So that's what probably why I'm terrible at it. So I figured, all right, my videos are not going to be edited better than anybody. So what can I do that's going to make me stand out? Because I'm not going to learn to edit videos. It gives me a headache. So what I'll, do? I'll just put out my average edited videos. I'll just do it more than everybody else. I'm just going to beat people on volume. And that's what I did. That's all I did. And then those videos led into people going and buying my programs. Once I started making programs that were $4 and 99 cents, that's where I started as an entrepreneur, $4 and 99 cents. Selling dribbling programs or shooting programs. And I just made a program for every skill that I knew. And eventually we had hundreds of them. So that was the system. And then the last part is the accountability. We just got to make sure that the person's doing their job and that the system is doing its job. So for me, the reason I was able to put out videos every day because I was in the gym every day. And this is the funny thing is, a lot of players would ask me, Dre, how do you always have a gym to yourself? You know, I'm in Miami. The gym I used to work out at is not far from where I live right now. It's still there, and I, anytime I drive by, I think to myself, it's probably empty right now. It's a city-owned gym. The membership is like $10 a month because the city owns it. So we're not talking like it's not Equinox. Right? It's not like it's a $200. It's, it's $10. That gym would be dead empty 99% of the time I worked out in there. And it's not because nobody knew about it. Everybody in Miami knew who I was and they all knew where I was working out at. You know, the gym, when you see the video, nobody ever came in there. (laughs) It was just me to myself because I showed up every day and just worked out. That's it. So sometimes it's just simply showing up. If you could just show up consistently, there's an opportunity there and you can just beat everybody else out just by showing up. I was far from the most talented player. I was up there. I ain't going to say, I'm not going to say I was terrible. I was up there, but I wasn't the most talented but I had more discipline than a lot of my peers. And that's one of the reasons why I lasted as long as I did. Yeah, that's huge. And one of the things that, you know, I
1: emphasize and a principle that I feel like is synonymous with discipline is commitment, right? Commitment to be there every single day, commitment Mm -hmm. to show up every single day. And I know we've talked a little bit about the strategy. you You touched on the systems, you touched a little bit on the accountability, but let's back it up a little bit because you talked about mindset. And I think that's one thing that, you know, athletes, and, and all people can continue to develop. So when you're working with athletes, what principles do you like to teach and help instill to develop their mindset?
0: A great question. Well, the first thing we start with that discipline, like you said, and that's just showing up every single day to do the work. And this is something that uh, amazingly, I, I can't tell you how many different types of people I've worked with, whether uh, athlete, let's just say athletes, Who say that they want to get better they say that they're serious about the game and then you say okay well just come to come to the park or the court or the gym or whatever come here every day at this time i'll be here i'll work with you and not even two weeks go by they're not showing up anymore i've had this happen uh, so many times and people say that they're serious and they can see that i'm serious and they can see that working with me is gonna make them better but they can't they just can't show up they just don't have the discipline so that discipline is a, a huge thing is the foundational piece of everything that we do here. I don't care if I'm talking to a basketball player or a person who owns a, a eight figure business. Discipline is the foundational piece of everything that I do and everything that we do. And me personally, forget professional wise, discipline is number one. And so that's where it starts. And from discipline, you get confidence. All right? Confidence is sourced mm-hmm. from discipline. Most confident people are usually very disciplined individuals. People who have real confidence is because they're disciplined. That's the reason they're confident, because they've done the work. They know they've done the work. All they have to do is look into their history of what they've done to know that they can believe in themselves. That's all confidence is, a belief in your ability to do a thing. And then that third part is the mental toughness, which is how do you deal with the inevitable setbacks? I don't care how hard you work, how confident and disciplined you are. Eventually, something's not going to go the right way. You want to expect things to go one way, it goes the other way. Uh, you are all prepared for the game and you feel great and you're ready to go. And you go over 15 and your team loses the championship. All right. It's going to happen. How do you bounce back? Uh, what do you do the next day? That's the question. And I remember the story of, now we use Kobe again as an example, his first year in the NBA, uh, people who are older, remember this, his first year, the Lakers went to the playoffs and they gave him the ball at the end of the game against the Utah jazz. And he shot like three air balls at the end of the game and Lakers get eliminated. They lose. And they said, the story goes, who knows if this really happened, but I directionally I believe the story, that when they got off the plane in L.A., Kobe did not go to his house. He went straight to the gym to get to working on his game because he wanted to you know, redeem himself from how poorly he had played. And he he became a lot better his second year, and that's when he really became a superstar. And from there, you know, the rest became history. But the guy was just dedicated. I gave another one, uh, Michael Jordan, when they said that when he was playing – He would show up to the gym. Let's say practice was at 10 o'clock. He would get to the gym at like 730, work out with his trainer, do his own workout for like an hour and a half. Then he would go in the locker room, shower, put his street clothes back on and go sit in his car. And then when his teammates showed up to the gym, he would get out the car as if he just got there because he didn't want anybody to know the extra work that he was doing. But he was doing it. So then when they got in practice, he's killing them. How is this guy so much better than everybody else? They thought it was his magic. It wasn't magic. He was doing the extra work. So mental toughness is just your willingness to keep showing up and keep at it, even when things are not working. And that's a that's a big challenge with a lot of people. A lot of people are so quick to quit. And this is why, you know, personally, I like to say metaphorically, I'm a distance runner. I'm not a sprinter. And the longer the race goes, the better chance I'm going to win because I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep going. Even when I got to walk, I got to crawl I got to go kind of slow. I'm going to make it through the race. And then the last piece is that initiative, uh, just being willing to go do something when nothing's happening. Can you go and create an opportunity where there is no opportunity? And I had to do that, uh, basically every step in basketball I had to do that.
1: That's so huge. And, you know, kind of talking about one of the things that I I'm seeing and I am recognizing, and I'm sure it's at every single level, right. Whether they're a young athlete, uh, you know, a young kid in drama, um, whether they're an adult, that's an athlete. Just being able to respond to a bad game, respond to a miss. You know, I think sometimes I can see like an athlete's emotion, um, like when they miss their first shot. I feel like, you know, one of the things I'm working with them is is like a miss and a mistake response. Right. And sometimes it's like knowing that you have the body of work. Right. You've put in the work and you've seen yourself miss shots and then come back and make shots after that. Um, but not mm-hmm. letting a miss and a mistake just take you mentally out of the game, whether it's over five. And I feel like that is the ultimate, you know, mental toughness and discipline. And so do you have certain strategies do you use, you know, kind of keywords, or you just kind of exercise that you were just like, this is just something, this is going to be a part of me. And maybe that's the mindset. It just becomes a part of your identity that you're someone that's going to be a marathon runner versus a sprinter and someone who's going to wait on the sideline when things aren't going well.
0: Mm. So for me, that's all it comes down to what we call mental conditioning. So same way in sports, I'm sure as a coach, you know, your players do conditioning drills, right? So right. as a player, uh, I used to hate when the coach would come. Sometimes we had practice and the coach would come out. And he would say, today we're going to do a conditioning practice. So there's going to be no dribbling, no shooting. This is going to run. Yeah. All, right? and all we're going to do is run. And and we would do suicides and or what some people call running lines and back and forth and sprints, full court sprints and all that stuff. But the reason you do the conditioning is so that when you get in the game, the fatigue doesn't slow you down as much. And mental conditioning works the same way. Well, a lot of people think conditioning means you don't get fatigued at all, but that's not true. If you sprint up and down the court 10 times in a row, I don't care, you could be the best athlete in the NBA, you're going to feel fatigued. The question is, how long do you need to get over the fatigue before you can sprint all over again? And the better condition you are, you only need 30 seconds as opposed to 30 minutes. Or for some people, they might need 30 days. So that's what the conditioning is about. Mental conditioning is the exact same thing. When something doesn't go right, it's not that you're not going to be upset or pissed off or disappointed. It's how much time do you need to recover before you can get back out there? Some people need a month. Some people, it destroys them for the rest of their careers. Other people, okay, I missed my last three shots, but this fourth shot is going in. Uh, I haven't made anything all game. But you know what? We're down to the last shot. I'm going to make this one, and we're going to win the game. I'll give you an example here. I'll use uh, Jordan again. They were playing the Miami Heat in the uh, 97 conference fi- Eastern Conference Finals, and Michael Jordan was having a, a terrible game. It was game four. They were already up 3-0. And this video is on YouTube, and people should, players should look this video up. It's one of my favorite Michael Jordan games, and the Bulls lost this game. It's still one of my favorite Jordan games. He was like 2-for-22 in the fourth quarter. He's not making anything. And again, they're up three to zero. So if they lose, it's not a big deal, right? But in the fourth quarter, this guy just catches fire. And anybody who watched Jordan, you know. And he just starts killing the Miami Heat in the fourth quarter. And it's in Miami. And the crowd is is almost like a Chicago crowd. Cause every time he scores, the crowds is going crazy. Like right? are we believe what we're seeing? And he brought them all the way back. They were about to win. They didn't win the game. They it got close. They ended up winning the next game, then they won the championship. But the whole point is was having a terrible game the most players and i heard kobe say this that if i go over 10 is a failure i'd rather go over 30 so if i go over 10 that means i stopped shooting i lost my confidence but i'd rather go over 30 which means i kept trying and it was the same thing with uh michael jordan are, are you willing to go over 30 that's the question for anybody who listens is, are you willing to go over 30 most people aren't willing to because they would get very self-conscious after the first 10 so that mental toughness is a, a big thing yeah that's huge and and
1: that I feel like that's a that's a super skill that separates you know the ninety nine percent from a one percenter right someone who's just so yeah. willing to have. So much self belief and, and confidence, and so you talked about obviously a lot of a lot of confidence comes from the work, right? Me and you both weren't probably not super confident video editors, right? If we were going to go to work and you know National Geographic gave us a project and said you have to edit this video um, and you can win a hundred thousand dollars, we're probably not feeling great great about ourselves. So we have to do the work, right? No one can be confident at everything they do. Um, but what are other key components to developing that confidence and, and that
0: belief in self? It's the, when it comes to the conditioning, one thing I have people do is write it down. So write down all the goals that you want to achieve. Those are your outcomes. Then write down all the things that you would need to do to achieve those outcomes. And then write down what type of person you need to become in order to do that stuff. So it's having, doing, and being. And you need to have all three. What are my outcomes? What are the actions? And what type of person do I need to be? And Then you execute in the opposite order. So it's be, do, and have. So you got to become the person in your mind first, then you go do the actions, and then you go get the results. What a lot of people do incorrectly, Justin, is they start with the actions. They go say, okay, what did this guy do? What's this guy doing? One of my coaches tell me to do. Then they go do stuff, and then they see if they got the result. If not, they go do more stuff, and most people spend their whole lives in this cycle doing stuff. Did I have the outcome? Do stuff. Let me see if I got the outcome. Do more stuff. They just do that their entire lives and it's not working out. It's because they are missing an element of the formula, which is who do I need to be as a person? And that's about your mindset, your aura, who you see in the mirror, who you really believe that you are. And when you believe yourself to be a certain type of person, you take actions that are aligned with that type of person. So if you say, I'm going to be the best conditioned player on my team, that means you go to the track and you do sprints so that you can be in game shape before practice starts. If you say I'm going to be the best free throw shooter, that means you stay out the practice and you make 100 free throws every day. If you say I'm going to be the best ball handler, that means you keep working on your ball handling. So when you get in the game and there's four court pressure defense, you can bring the ball up the floor and. Get the ball into initiating the offense without turning it over or dribbling the ball off your foot. So you do actions that are aligned with the type of person you believe yourself to be. challenge for a lot of people, Justin, is that they never think about who they believe themselves to be. So their actions are going in all different directions, and they wonder why their outcomes are so random because they have an inaccurate formula. So the formula is, again, who do I need to be as a person? Write it down. What do I need to do when I'm being that person? Write that down. And then what kind of outcomes am I going to produce? And many of your outcomes need to be measurable. They need to be clear that you can check a box, say I did this, I didn't do it. So that's that. That's the mental conditioning part that even when I'm working with people who are not athletes is one of the first things that we do.
1: That makes a ton of sense because I'm actually thinking about as you're talking about that with myself, right? Like as a business owner, yeah. um, as a podcaster, as a coach, right? What kind of coach do I want to become, right? What type of, right. of business owner? How, what kind of leader do I want to be when I'm running camps? Um, and Do I want to, you know, kind of be a traditional camp, um, or do I want to have it be an innovative camp? How do I, what kind of interactions do I want to have with the parents? And I think that's the one thing that I've actually been thinking about recently in this 2024 year. Um, you know, when you decided to, you know, become an entrepreneur you're making all these videos and you, you committed to that volume, how, how, what lessons over time have you learned to help you become, Uh, understand who you are and and the the leader you want to become the entrepreneur you want to become
0: I think that all kind of came naturally to me as I kept putting the material out so I was kind of creating myself as I was putting material out there so I got on the internet way before it was cool to just be putting content out there like 2005 and I was blogging first but that didn't really take off or catch a lot of attention but the YouTube basketball videos, those called attention. And then I started blogging about my experiences playing overseas. And just the more I kept talking, the more I kept developing my voice. So I tell people these days, because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who want to be like authors and coaches and professional speakers, is you got to find your voice. You got to find your angle. What is your approach? What's your, when you walk in the room, what should people know that they're going to get if they heard you before? And what should people remember if this is a, if it's their first time hearing you? So that all just came naturally as I kept, putting out material. And then when the players just started asking me questions, like, where'd you play at? You no, know, how was your high school? And I would just make these you no know, talking videos and people liked the talking videos. And then I started extracting the mindset pieces, same things that we talked about already. I started extracting it from my experience and just giving it back to people where I was constantly and intentionally talking about it. And people really liked that. And then I started getting people who didn't play basketball finding me. That's when I realized that I could take this message outside of just the realm of basketball. And then when I stopped playing basketball, that's exactly what I did. And then I just added in other subjects that I knew something about that I could break down and explain. So the more I know about business and the more I know about entrepreneurship and sales and marketing and money and all these things, I can break them down and explain it because I realized, Justin, that's really my superpower. It's my ability to break down and simplify things that to some people may seem complex. And basketball was one of those things because a lot of players didn't quite understand how do you do the... How do you do a post-up move or however your feet supposed to be? Or how do you do the crossover? I was able to explain it. That's really what separated me from anyone else because I'm not the only person who can dunk or do a crossover and make a left-hand layup. And then in business is the exact same thing. And in mindset especially because basketball, you can see it. Uh, Business, you can see it. Mindset, you can't see. So it's this abstract thing that a lot of people don't quite get. They never get a grasp on it. And again, the reason why my material on mindset was so important for me First of all, to the athletes, but then to the non-athletes, because my ability to break it down and explain it, help people understand something that we can never touch, taste, smell, but you can understand it once it gets broken down. So that was always a, a big thing for me. And that's still the superpower that i most leverage to this day is my ability to uh, make sense of things that might seem complicated.
1: Right, communicating the complex and making it simple and digestible exactly. for people to understand. So that's it's right. really huge. I mean, you're you're a teacher, right? Teacher of different, you know, life skills, life principles, right? Whether it's basketball business, no matter it's it's teaching. And you know, it's kind of we, we hit the, you know, two minute warning of our um podcast. You know, when you think about your legacy in, in ten years. You know if you know if you're working with certain athletes entrepreneurs um you know even for the podcast listeners what do you really like hope that people um understand
0: from your message and take with them throughout their life that we are in a performance and a results-based business and that's what matters uh, and that's the reason why about sports uh, sports has a scoreboard uh, and At least in basketball, baseball, football, hockey, we got scoreboards. One thing I like about boxing is that if it goes distance, it goes to the judges. I don't like that. I don't like anything that comes down to a subjective opinion. I like things that come down to just black and white. This team has this many points. This team has this many points. And there's no argument. So that's the great thing about sports. And I, I tell people sports is the ultimate meritocracy. It's the closest thing you'll get to it where the best performers get all the rewards. Everywhere else in life, it's not like that. It's it can be subjective. It can be uh, political. It's about who has the best strategy or the best system or you know the best timing. And it may not even be about who's the best performer. The best performers don't always get the trophies in everywhere else in life. But in sports, usually they do. So that's the, the number one thing, performance and results based business. Yeah, that's great. Where can people that are listening, that are that are loving the message,
1: you know, find some of your books? Because I know you're a published author, and yeah. find more about you
0: on, on social media to follow you on social media and your website. Sure, uh, you can get a copy of one of my books for free. Is are, we, are these mostly basketball players listening to us? No, we got
1: parents, uh, different coaches. I know we got some after school teachers for at the Boys and Girls Club. So, got a variety okay. of of
0: leaders and coaches. Okay, so they can get a free copy of my book called The Third Day. which is this book here, for those who are watching on video, this book is all about how you show up and give your best effort when you least feel like it. And The Third Day is one of my uh, subtopics under the headline of discipline. So I told you discipline is the most important thing in what we do here. So this book is free. All we ask is that you cover the shipping, I'll send you a physical copy of the paperback and you just go to thirddaybook.com. That's all spelled out, thirddaybook.com give your best effort when you least feel like it. And again, I don't care what you do for a living. Everybody has those days and we don't feel like being at work, but you got to turn that mic on anyway, right? You got to, the whistle's going to blow anyway, and you still got to show up and do your job. So that's what the third day is about. And that, again, the book's free, just cover the shipping. As far as socials, I'm on every social platform, uh, probably most active on Instagram. And that's just my name, at Dre Baldwin. And You find me at either one of those places, you'll find about everything else we're doing. Our biggest focus is uh, work on your game university. That's where we do all our coaching and consulting and all of that. But if you just go get the book, you'll be on my email list and you'll hear from me a lot. I send out emails all the time. And if you're on social, you'll hear from me a lot because I post there every day awesome well i
1: really appreciate your time i think it's incredibly important the third day um, because i know as as a coach right it could be very draining when you're working with athletes every single day however our purpose <laughs> needs to be greater and we need to have that discipline so i'll go in i'll, I'll go check that out and, and get the third day and really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with the audience dre well i
0: appreciate you sharing your platform justin
1: thank you for the listening opportunity. to this episode of the bridging impact podcast we'd love it if you would like subscribe leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on it's the best way to help us grow we appreciate you for doing that we'll shout you out on social media i'd also love if you connected with me on social media let me know your thoughts and this is why i do it i want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward make an impact on the world so stay tuned stay subscribed Cheers.